privilege of introducing to you a special guest speaker today, uh, Russ Akita, who has been a pastor for more than uh, tw uh, uh, two decades here in the Silicon Valley. He is an adjunct professor at William Jessup University. He's a chaplain at Los Gatos Montesorino uh, Police Department. Uh, he has been a very near and dear friend to me over the last year or so, where he serves as a, as a leader or on the board of a ministry called Soul Care that provides care ministry to church pastors and leaders in the Bay Area. An incredible ministry that's happening behind the scenes. Russ has been an incredible gift to me. That ministry has been an incredible gift that's benefited both Cindy and me. So we're, we're grateful for him and grateful to hear him speak and teach on the, on the, on the word, uh, word of God today as he continues our Reset series, talking about, I love this title, or this, this, this theme that he has, uh, cultivating the intercontemplative life. Okay, so if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 6. See if I can do this one-handed. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be looking at verses 25 through 34, and the words will be on your screen. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more, much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble in its own. Amen. Thank you, David. I have to say, it's been a mutually enjoyable relationship, getting to know David these last couple years, and uh, kind of being companions on the way. So uh, thank you. I appreciate your hospitality. Uh, stranger to all of you, but it's a privilege to be here, and I'm looking forward to this opportunity. Let me share an email that caught my attention, or a story about an email exchange. A couple from Minneapolis decided to go to Florida for a long weekend to thaw out after a very icy winter. And if you've been in Minneapolis when it's minus 35 below, you know how icy it can get. Because both had their jobs, they had difficulty coordinating their travel schedules. It was decided that the husband would travel to Florida on a Thursday and his wife would follow him the next day. Upon arriving as planned, the husband checked into the hotel there he decided to open his laptop and send his wife an email to let him know that he was there. However, he accidentally left off one letter in her address and sent the email without realizing his error. Now in Houston, Texas, a widow had just returned from her husband's funeral. He was a minister for who had many years served the church and who all of a sudden died of a heart attack. And the widow 
checked her email expecting messages from relatives and friends after the service. And upon reading the first message, she fainted and fell to the floor. The widow's son rushed in and found his mother on the floor, and on the computer he saw this email which read, To my loving wife, from your departed husband. Subject, I've arrived. <laughs> I've just arrived and have checked in, and I see that everything has been prepared for your arrival tomorrow. <laughs> Looking forward to seeing you then. Hope your journey is as uneventful as mine. P.S. Sure is hot down here. <laughs> These past 15 months, we can all agree that life has been anything but uneventful. Isn't it true? It's not only living in this ongoing dynamics of life in Silicon Valley with the push and pull of family work relationships, but with the added COVID pandemic, the political polemic, the environmental concerns, the bubbling racial tensions, life has had an increased degree of difficulty and has been quite demanding on all ages. Life in these unique and challenging times have also caused great concern among public health professionals as they've noticed across the board an increasing struggle with, of individuals with depression, loneliness, A little technical difficulty, thank you. For those of you at home, it's, I'm glad you can hear me now. Loneliness, depression, and anxiety have been alarming on the rise, alarming rise in the, for people of all ages. Life is anything but uneventful. And what can I cultivate in my life that will help sustain me and help me to continually grow and thrive as a person? I believe the series you've been looking at is with David is on cultivating that life, resetting. So allow me to just join in the stream of that. Hopefully it will speak into that part of our, how do we take care of our life within so that we can deal with the life that's coming from without. I propose that Jesus' teaching, captured in Matthew 6, 25 through 34, offers us some worthy things to consider. If you heard that scripture, life, as our Lord candidly informs us, is marked by anxiety. Other translations use the word worry. When life is marked by anxiety, or even a person who professes faith in Jesus, it can still remain quite challenging. We're not immune from these things. So let me shed further light by looking at further the meaning of this word that Jesus uses to characterize a common response to the people of his day and 2,000 years later is still prevalent among us. The word anxious implies expending careful thought, expending concern for oneself, or to have one's thoughts preoccupied with something. Expending careful thought, expending concern for one's life, to have one's thoughts occupied with something. Therefore, to be anxious is descriptive of any one of us, wherever we may find ourselves in our journey of faith and life. 
expending careful thought to something that affects our life when we are preoccupied or overly concerned with it. Now, with this understanding, an anxious person is not someone who is nervously fiddling their fingers, wondering if the sky is going to fall. But an anxious person can be any one of us who finds him or herself preoccupied with the concerns of life. I would say anxiety is par for the course in our faith journey, but how we deal with it can make a significant difference. Now, there is, in the clinical world of psychology, in the, that among my wife, who's a marriage and family therapist, there's a clinical description of anxiety disorder, and that is a case of which individuals need particular help. But for most of us, we would deal with anxiety that happens just in the normal course of our day. Jesus describes what are possible sources for our anxious living. It is easy to get preoccupied over what we eat, what we drink, or what we wear. The basic necessities. And Jesus points out we can be overly concerned in a way that inhibits our health and our function. With so many demands and distractions and challenges, it is easy to let preoccupations abound in our lives. So I'd like to ask you a question. What are your current concerns in your life that have you preoccupied and distracted? What are the concerns in your life that have you preoccupied and distracted? Now, we must know Jesus' teaching is not a light-hearted discourse, for there is an urgency in his voice. You don't pick it up when you read the flat text from Scripture. When he says, do not be anxious, the voice of the language is not a mild suggestion, but it's an imperative command. In these 11 verses, three times, Jesus literally commands the, the crowd not to be anxious, not to worry, not to be overly preoccupied with the concerns of life. Being anxious can become extremely unhealthy to our soul and our living of faith. It filters out and affects our relationships and our work. It can hinder our faithful living as followers of Christ, and it can weaken our hopes of fully embracing life whenever we face certain challenges. Now, remember the context of this teaching now, in this valley, we understand the three important words in real estate. You know what they are? Location, location, location. When it comes to scripture, three important words are context, context, context. When you read the scripture, you have to figure out where is it taking place and what's happening in the setting around it. Jesus is teaching to the masses outside, probably over 1,000, 2,000 people on a hillside, and he's speaking to them, and these are the individuals who live in a time when they are the ones being pushed and oppressed by the religious leaders, and they're suppressed and oppressed by the Roman government. And here they are with people trying to make a living, and he senses that they have a lot of things to worry about. So as he speaks from the, they call this the Sermon on the Mount. And if you read these passages in the Gospel of Matthew, what Jesus is doing is telling the people who are seeking to follow him that these are the values, the core values. These are the expectations and expressions of kingdom living. 
So as Christ followers, we probably need to give weight to the words of our Lord so that our living reflects what he intends for us. We are in no way to live in denial of our anxieties. We need to own them. We need to name them. We need to face them. But how we address them is very vital to us. Now, Jesus does not leave us only with a command to avoid what is hazardous to our souls. Now, interestingly, in the idiom of the New Testament, in that time, when someone says something once, that's the one you to hear. If you say it twice, it's really important. When they say it three times, that means you, you really want your attention. Three times, he says, don't be anxious. He provides this prescriptive admonition in light of the three negatives to counteract anxiety's disabling effects. To tell people not to do something without telling them what to do proactively is really unhelpful. Don't you agree? It, gives, it leaves people more with guilt and shame than hope. So as a corrective for anxious living, Jesus grabs our attention with three clear, urgent, imperative declarations, which can be practices I propose to cultivate our inner life in the midst of all that we face. First, in verse 26, he implores, look at the birds of the air. Now, imagine he's sitting, he's speaking outside. Probably birds are flying by, but he says, look at the birds of the air. I propose anxious living arises when we are too preoccupied with our own self-interest and miss the grand perspective of what God is doing. His command to look requires of us to observe what God has done for us and maybe what he is doing. I believe he's also making us notice our value in him. If he feeds the birds, will he not do the same for you and me? There's a measure of humor in this, you could say. You know, when you read the scriptures, you don't see any places where they said Jesus laughed. We don't pick up his sense of humor. But I think there's a sense of humor here when he, he infers that these people are living as if God values the birds more than these people. Sometimes I think we can get so caught up in our manner of living, we can lose a sense of our identity and value in God's eyes. When we are stressed, and full of anxiety, we can easily forget not only who we are, but lose track of whose we are. What causes our preoccupations, our worries, our anxieties is when we concern our life that will be short of what we need. So we fret and try to make it happen or think of ways to secure what we fear of not having. I think Jesus is way ahead of the game when I think he understands what FOMO is all about. By looking and observing what God has done, we realize it is ultimately he who provides because of his love for us. Now, we must know that birds do not have DoorDash delivering worms every morning to their nest, for it is assumed that they actively go out and gather their food. But the point our Lord is making seems to be this. They can gather their food because they know ultimately who it is that provides what they need. So it'll be the same for us. As an ideal, an ideal earthly father cares and wisely provides, 
Jesus affirms in a real way our loving God as our Heavenly Father will provide as well. So later Jesus says, don't be like the unbelieving persons who chase after these things for your Heavenly Father knows your need of them. So what does this looking require of us? I propose to look involves an outward assessment of what God is doing and has done directly for me, for us. Take notice and observe the many ways God's providing. Develop a God mindset. If I tell you to look around the room right now and notice all the colors that catches your eye, Look around, notice the colors. If I say, look for the color yellow, you have a yellow mindset, you will notice yellow. I think we have to develop a God mindset. Could it be possible that there is sufficient evidence that God is doing much for us? Looking looking will clearly affirm, reaffirm that we are valued by God and leads us to discover that our being anxious really adds nothing more to our life. Take time in the course of your day to observe, to look, and see how God's generosity, His grace, His gifts are operative in your life. Take the time to trace the gift to the hand that gives it, and it will bring you to the heart of a father who loves you and values you. The second command Jesus declares is this in verse 28. Consider the lilies of the field. You could say Jesus was a naturalist. First the birds and now the lilies of the field. How many of you do gardening? If you had a chance to do gardening or you love to go to places where there's floral arrangements, you know, you, it catches your eye. Jesus helps say, consider the lilies of the field. The word consider indicates reflective thinking. A little different than look. If look has an outward thrust, consider has an inward focus. To consider implies we take time to reflect on our lives. Now, St. Ignatius from the 16th century had some interesting thoughts, but he was a wise man who said that we don't learn from our experiences in life as much as we learn from reflecting on our experiences. We don't learn from our experiences as much as we learn from reflecting on our experiences. I believe we live in a culture that does little reflection for we are too driven to take time to do so. We are so busy. I find myself so busy. I can lose perspective on my life, my own person, my marriage, or our, my kids, our career, our health, our call, and so on and so on. A philosopher said, as to the question, who discovered water, we know for certain it wasn't the fish. As to the question, who discovered water, we know for certain it wasn't the fish. As a fish is too immersed in its environment, so is an anxious person so preoccupied with the concerns, their demands, and their dreams that we lose objectivity over their very own life. If I'm in this fishbowl, caught up in my worries, 
I lose perspective. If I get myself out of the bowl, maybe I see things differently. Remember, the broader sense of anxiousness is when we are consumed by the concerns of life and how they're going. Anxiety saps us of our energy, which leaves me little time to reflect and take stock. I read somewhere why farmers have barbed wire fences for their cows. You ever thought about that? It's because cows are grazers. And when they're too busy feeding on the grass with their heads down, going from one piece of grass to the next, they eventually lose sense of where they're going and they end up in precarious places. So the barbed wire fences kind of pricks them to remind them, no, you can't go there. Jesus tells us to consider, take time to reflect, so we don't roam off too far with our anxious thoughts and concerns and end up at an unstable place. So let me offer you a couple questions that you may find helpful to reflect and consider when your preoccupations in life are getting the best of you. Where are my preoccupations and worries coming from? What's the source of that one particular worry that you have? The second question just to consider is, what do I need to remind myself about who God is? Jesus commands us to look and to consider, and finally he urges us to seek, to seek. This is a seminal verse in the, the Gospels. We often refer to it, if you've been a Christian for a long time, it says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Interestingly, when we look at this passage of Scripture, we, we pull this one out as the most important one. But let me tell you, to look at birds and consider the lilies and to seek the kingdom are on all equal weight. What does seeking God's kingdom involve? Now, this may be somewhat rudimentary, but let me share this. Let me bring a perspective. A kingdom implies there is a king. The king determines the nature of his reign. What makes the kingdom is the king. If you have a good king, we can assume he will rule fairly and with decency and with justice. To seek a kingdom is meaningless if you fail to know and seek the one who makes it a reality, the king himself. Jesus commands to seek first him, not the benefits that he offers us. Now the word seeking denotes to intent strive to intently strive for, to watch for, to pursue, to desire. All in all, our first desire, what we should be ardently striving for, our highest intention, our foremost pursuit in life is to be Jesus himself. Our passion in life is not to be confused with our purpose. Our passion, that which we must seek first above all, is Jesus himself. From that passion comes our sense of purpose. I believe to keep me from having anxiety disturb and distract me, I need to be intent on looking to him, on being with Jesus. It is only in his company I remind myself that indeed God is like a consistently caring father who loves me. I tell you what, I cannot know what God is like unless I know who Jesus is because 
if I just don't know Jesus, God is very mysterious and he seems austere, but when I know Jesus and he reflects who the Father is, there's a sense that there's some hope here. There's someone who truly cares. In his presence, I'm reminded not only who I am, whose I am, but what am I here for? Anxieties and worries that perplex us are about, I believe, the shallow things in life rather than the deep things. Seeking Christ, I believe, awakens us to what the deeper things are that matter most to our Lord's heart. Now, most bumper stickers are trivial, immoral, or innocuous. You know, when I'm driving on the days when we had a lot of traffic, I would look at bumper stickers. It's a good way to pass the time. And some catch your attention. Well, there was one a while back that I thought, hmm, it was, it was provocative. Simply said this, no Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. Simple, but not simplistic. It captures what profoundly is a deep and relevant truth. In his letter to the church at Philippi, the Apostle Paul writes these words. He says, have no anxiety, no preoccupation, no worries about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, will keep your hearts and minds on Christ Jesus. Great words. Interestingly, whenever the imperative voice is used for a verb, it requires an immediate response, doesn't it? Attentiveness is demanded, an immediate response desired. A delayed reaction is inappropriate and can be very inefficient. When we see a person crossing the street who does not see an oncoming car, what do we do? Do we say, hey, stop? No, we say, stop! We try to get their attention. It's an immediate response that's required. When you're feeling pushed by the preoccupations of what's not going well with your life and pummeled by just a lot of the concerns, you may feel that you're going nowhere. It is then you must realize that your feeling nowhere is an invitation to be now here. Take the word nowhere, put a line between the W and the H. When you feel like you're going nowhere, be now here. Be in this moment. That is why Jesus concludes by saying, using a strong, imperative voice, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. That's how he ends this discourse. We get anxious, we can live too much in the future, we worry and speculate about things that are out there, and we are almost useless for right now. Have you ever talked to someone who's preoccupied? Now, my wife could give you many examples of that with me. You can see it in their eyes. You know, here's the thing. When I was on staff at a church, on Sunday morning is the worst time for me because people will be coming up to you, and maybe this happens in your profession as well, and you see the person in front of you, then you notice someone else wants your attention, and you start to kind of look that way, and you're just giving lip service to this person here. And boy, it's hard to stay focused in that moment. But they can see it in your eyes 
that, that their, your mind and heart are elsewhere. It's like they're present physically, but emotionally they're in a faraway place. The light is on in the house when no one's home. It's frustrating because there is no connection in the relationship. As hard as it is to live with someone like that, imagine what it's like for God when we are too preoccupied with our own concerns. Ultimately, we miss out because we forego the opportunity to see what he wants us to see, to hear what he has to say to us, and to join in on maybe what he's already doing. Now, Jesus' imperatives in Matthew's account of look, consider, and seek requires us to learn what I love from this saint from the 1700s, Jean-Pierre de Cassade. Love his French name. And he talks about this. Practice the sacrament of the present moment. Practice the sacrament of the present moment. We can be so easily possessed by our past, distracted by our present, or preoccupied with our future that we miss out what God is trying to say to us right now. I believe, I suggest, we serve a messy God who leaves sufficient reminders all over the place that he's present, that he's at work. Taking to notice in the moment how God has been ahead of me and is involved in my current situation is at the heart of being present to the moment. When I'm living in this manner, I find my inner life is strengthened and my hope rising. The first two unforgettable words I learned in kindergarten from a wise woman who was beyond her years, but I, she would never think that I, she had an impact on me. But in kindergarten, she said these two powerful unforgettable words that has been a powerful way of a cultivating a contemplative life. These words are, pay attention, Russell. <laughs> pay attention. This needs to be our slogan, our mantra, as you start each day with Jesus. Let us pay attention. Stay awake. Watch. Take notice. Be alert. Look. Consider. And seek Jesus. And by so doing, we are being present to the moment. I firmly believe we are then cultivating an inner life that will not disappoint and allow us to live faithfully and fruitfully this life now. So let me offer you some suggested ideas for you. Hopefully some practical steps to pay attention, to look, to consider and seek, to be present in the moment, in your day. The first is this. Slow yourself down during a particular chosen block of time in your day. I'm not going to give you a quantitative amount, because for five minutes for one, 30 minutes for another, whatever, take. Slow yourself down to a particular block of time in a day. Second, notice your breathing, and do it deliberately and deeply. Your breath is God's first gift to you every morning. 
Observe what is happening in and around you beyond the immediate task at hand. So, be unlike a cow and just lift up our head. Now ask God to help me be alert and watchful for what he may be doing or may want to show you. Or to show you what he's doing and he wants you to get out of the way. Next, take note of what is brought to your attention. Also recognize what feelings or thoughts predominate within that moment. And finally, when your day comes to an end, reflect on what transpired and ask the Lord to give you insight to your experience. A friend of mine once told me, Russ, you have to learn the art of living in day-tight compartments. You know what the expression watertight compartments, you know? Airtight compartments. Daytight. Just stay in this day. Don't let the past seep in, the future intrude. Try to be present. Allow me to pray. Father, you know where each of us here today are on this journey with you. And the journey is not about trying to get there, but it's going with you. And thank you, Lord, that you companion us. So I simply would pray these words that come from an old hymn from the 13th century that became the lyrics for a very popular Broadway musical called Godspell. And the prayer is simply this, timeless words. Timely words. O oh Lord, three things I pray. To see thee more clearly. To love you more dearly. And to follow you more nearly. Day by day. I ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.